podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. from there i wanted to start from the beginning i want a completely fresh one episode 176 of below the belt uh take two um joined once again by my good friend john mcdonald how are you sir i'm very well thank you cal how are you uh yeah i'm good i'm good um hopefully this works all right this time um i was just saying um that there's a lot of kind of boxing kind of going on at the minute um but none of it's really there to it's not really grabbing anybody's attention it's not really grabbing my attention to be honest sometimes i go on box track and i look at the schedules and it rates them into stars five four three two one nothing there really there was the uh what was it the josh warrington and lee wood yeah there's not much on the go at the minute but We've been spoiled. The first half of the year was really, really good. We had so much on the schedule in the first half of the year, and the second half hasn't just lived up to all those great fights we had from January through June. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's a real shame. I, I guess it's um, I guess there's always going to be kind of peaks and troughs and stuff like that. Um, I guess that's just the nature of the sport, especially with the kind of splintered promoters, and they're not always very good at kind of working with each other. Um, but it is 176 and we're just coming off, you know, kind of a big, you know, heavyweight showdown uh, on TNT. I've got to get away from saying BT Sport. I've been saying BT Sport to people. Have you got out of the BT Sport TNT bit yet, John? No, I will always be calling it BT Sport. Like, I can't remember how long it took me to start calling uh, Opal Fruit Starburst. You know, it'll probably have a new name yep. by the time I get around to calling it TNT. Yeah, no, I get you completely um where i live there was a shop called it was called vg's and it was like a it's like a small kind of small kind of cost cutter type store it was vg's and it changed to mace and i know there's maces in De in belfast because the, the one and only time i went there i saw a mace and i couldn't believe it um then it changed to or what did it change to something else and then it became cost cutter but i was always one behind if it when it was when it was Costco, I was calling it Max. I was always one behind. But the card, what did you think kind of the card over actually, John? Um, the, the card wasn't great. Like, I thought we were going to be on a really late finish. But thankfully, Moses Atalma and Anthony Yard did the business early doors and we got the main event at a reasonable time. I was worried that they were going to go really late at one stage, but no, the whole thing was wrapped up by about three minutes past 11, so it wasn't too bad. What did you make of the card? Yeah, it wasn't... It was a, it was a classic Frank Warren card. <laughs> lots of A-sides. Lots of people you would recognise on the A-side, but not very much on, you know, standing across the ring from them. And uh, I, I really don't know what the point was of that Anthony Yard fight, if I'm honest. 
um he hadn't boxed since january i was at that fight uh the fight in january um against arta Betabiev. and you think you know you know maybe you'd have come back may june and you know maybe even earlier than that you know and box someone at a decent european level and then maybe this around this time box someone decent in an eliminator but no he gets straight back in he gets straight back to that thing that anthony yard does which is box a can box someone that's you know too small for him number one that guy was a super middleweight he was far too small for him um and just not at his level and he gets him out of there in two rounds and it's he just seems to just follow this thing of okay he'll box people well below his level and then step well above his own level it's really weird isn't it but it seems to be it kind of works for him doesn't it it does and afterwards Frank Warren's suggestion of matching Anthony Yard with the winner of Buatzi and Aziz makes a lot of sense because they were trying to make excuses on the broadcast like Steve Bunce was trying to make out that the champions dance cards are full for the foreseeable future. Well, they're not. No one really wants to fight Arthur Arthur Berbiev or uh, Dmitry Bibol. Like, yes, there's a Callum Smith fight going on there, but he could easily get another shot at uh, Better Be uh, given Frank's working relationship with Top Rank. There's no one lining up to fight B-Ball. Like, he could get those shots, but realistically, they're going to bide their time until they're gone. Buatzi has never mm. shown any great desire to go and jump in with either of those two guys. Dan Aziz would probably take the fight, but it would probably be sensible if he beats Buatzi to get one more beating yard would prove that he is ready for that jump up. I think it makes a lot of sense. Whether Ben Shalom and Frank Warren can sit down and make a deal, probably not. But I actually don't hate the idea of the winner of that fight fighting Anthony Yard. What do you think? Yeah, I think that makes absolute sense that, that Anthony Yard would, would fight the winner of Dan Aziz and Joshua Barazzi. Like That makes absolute sense. Um you know they're all london based it'd be easy to make you could probably you could probably you could probably do the o2 you might even sell it out um if you get a decent undercard you could probably sell it out if you put dubois on there or whoever or if you did a kind of a cross promotion with boxer which i know they'll never do but you know if you could do something i think you could probably get a good crowd in I, wembley arena i think they definitely sell wembley arena out for that um so I'd really like to see that fight. I just have no faith whatsoever that they will make it. Oh, no, that's a sad reality. Like, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's the perfect fight all round, which means we probably won't see it. Yeah, that's yeah, that that's that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, so let's let's talk about let's 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 talk about the main event. Uh, Joe Joyce and and Zhang uh, up at heavyweight. It was a rematch for the interim WBO heavyweight title. Uh, the full title being held by Alexander Usyk. I don't know why they needed an interim because he's just defended it. But there we are. Um, it was. It went pretty much how I felt it would go. To be honest, it was. Joe Joyce looked. He looked. He looked petrified. He looked like he didn't want to be there. He looked like he didn't know what to do. He looked just not. It, you know, it kind of reminded me of David Price, Tony Thompson two yeah. like you've got this guy everyone felt it was a fluke stoppage the first time people were kind of saying that the first time was a fluke for zhang that you know it was only because of the injury or it was because of the weight etc and it just felt like no zhang knew he could get him out of there the second time and as soon as that straight left hand landed on joe joyce in the second round while joe joyce was against the ropes the right was on the wall wasn't it pretty much like it was in 
a similar pattern to the first, except both of them knew that Jang was able to hurt Joyce. So as soon as that left hand landed in the second round, Joyce didn't seem to have an answer. His legs stiffened. And at that point, the head movement that he was trying to deploy early on went out the window because it was very much something he had to think about doing. The second he's buzzed, he's not thinking about it. The low left hand... It was. It's just a bad matchup. Like it's a really bad style matchup, and I don't get why on earth Frank Warren made the first fight because he's usually such a risk adverse promoter. And the selling point here was that Zhang beat Hergovic. Didn't get the decision, but most people who watched that fight thought that Zhang beat yeah. Hergovic. So it was get Joyce in, beat him more convincingly. But that's only catering to a hardcore market. The general public didn't watch that. I know it was on a big undercard, but like realistically, the general sports fans still didn't know who Zhang was. It was something that was going to increase Joyce's standing amongst yeah. hardcore boxing fans who were already rating him amongst the biggest threats in the division outside the big two. So there really wasn't much to gain. There was a lot to lose. And I think... The assumption that Zhang is rubbish is all based from his draw with Jerry Forrest. But Jerry Forrest is a six foot one right. southpaw who's quick on his feet, who got knocked down three or four times in the first four rounds, survived, and then really poured it on Zhang when he was tired. Joe Joyce is not six foot one, mm. fleet of foot with quick hands and a southpaw. Like, it was a completely different fighter in a lot of ways joyce um it was a strange do you know what was even stranger take it the first fight happened and you know you know he came in quite light joyce and then you know he you know jang kind of beat him up and closed his eye and they pulled him out because of the eye um but then but then they they made the rematch <laughs> That was that's the funny thing to me is they made the rematch like why don't take the rematch like you've got you can blame the weight you can blame the eye move on like move on like just don't do it like because you just knew it just felt like as soon as they made the rematch like he's gonna get beaten up again and it's gonna be worse um and that's exactly what happened he got in again with a guy that's you know that knew he could hurt him that had buzzed him in the first fight. And he hadn't boxed a southpaw in forever. He wasn't at 38 years old going to become really good at boxing southpaws. And he just, he got bashed up again. And the knockout, John, oh, disgusting, wasn't it? It really was. It was a, a faint downstairs of a left hand and, an, and then a right hook, tight right hook, and just dropped Joyce on his face. It was, it was, it was a sight to see, wasn't it, John? It was brutal. And like, I like Joe Joyce. I think he's an interesting character. I think he's a unique proposition in the heavyweight division. I don't want to see him go out like that. And afterwards, Frank Warren saying he should retire, I didn't like that either. Like That was Frank essentially saying his contractual minimal, uh, minimum purse is going to be too high for me to make money on him anymore. So I'd quite like if he'd retire so I don't have to pay him. Mm. I didn't realise he said that. Is that what he said? He said, I think Joe Joyce should retire, which essentially is the only reason wow. we want him to retire is because 
you're going to have to pay it. You've got them under contract. You've got a contracted minimum purse that you're going to struggle to make a profit on after back-to-back conclusive defeats like that. Mm. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't had a yeah. tough career. Like, he's taken a few too many shots, but he hasn't been in brutal war after brutal war. I don't think he's done. I still think he beats the vast majority mm. of guys beneath the top two. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think he, you know, 30, he's thirty-eight. So yeah, he's. I think you've got to keep him away from Southpaws, uh, uh, Jang really, and, and how good he is. And I think he probably gives. I think he probably gives Usyk and and Fury decent fights. Uh, I think he he gives pretty much any heavyweight a good fight, Jang. Um, but yeah, with with Joyce, I think if you take him away, if you get him away from Southpaws, and you give him a rebuilding fight, I think you. Put him back in there with Dubois, and you give Dubois another fight to rebuild. And I think you make that rematch because I think right now that's the best money fight for both of them, uh, particularly Joyce. Dubois younger, and you could just build Dubois up, just have him fighting cans, right? You could just have him fighting cans. Um, he'd have made good money from the Usyk fight, Dubois. He'd have made good money from the Trevor Bryan fight. Um, so he, he, he'll, he'll be fine. He will be fine. Um, and Joyce would have made pretty good money as well. Um, so I think those two, you could match them up long term. But I think for now, you could just slowly rebuild both of them. Um, but I think that would be, for me, that's the destination, is is Dubois and Joyce too. It's a very sensible destination. And it's probably, what do you think of that? It's yeah. probably what we will get, assuming that Joyce's contractual minimal isn't going to be too problematic to have him fight a couple of cans and for Frank to make a loss on it before chucking him in with Dubois. He might have to chuck him straight in, which could still be a gamble. There's no guarantee that Dubois has improved enough and that Joyce has deteriorated enough for there to be a different outcome in that fight. I think the other options on the table are if Frank Mm. doesn't want to deal with paying Joyce, let Ben Shalom make him an offer for doing Bacoli Joyce on on Sky. Mm. Like Billy Nelson's been calling for that fight for ages. Yep. If they've got an interest in trying to rebuild Joyce, perhaps something that would make sense is to make an offer to Tony Yoka, who's just lost two on the bounce, is no longer a big draw in mm. France a repeat of the 2016 Olympic final, and it's essentially a loser-retires match. A loser-leaves-town. Yeah. One of those ones. Yeah, that makes sense, because you could... You've got that. You've got that Olympic final rematch, you know, almost like when Amir Khan first turned over and he had the rematch of his Olympic final. It's a little obviously different to that. But, yeah, you could definitely build it off of that, and that might help kind of make up some of the you know some of the guaranteed purse that you know that joyce that joyce would be on you know tnt have put a lot behind joe joyce they've you know they've made him a big mark part of the kind of their marketing campaign uh probably because they can't trust tyson fury as much to me they've obviously like him they obviously put a lot behind him and i think you know i'm a little worried about joyce because in the first fight particularly we've seen him kind of walk through big shots of fighters and then the first fight in the first Jang fight, you saw him get, it wasn't just the eye, you saw him get hurt, you saw him get buzzed and you saw him get hurt. 
and this time you saw the same thing and now you've seen him get put on his face and what worries me kind of about Joyce this may be a little harsh is that if the chin's gone if he's got to 38 and all the sparring and all the fights have caught up with him and the chin's gone what's left you know he's still a good fighter but he's very very slow he's 38 years old and the chin might have gone um so i'm a little worried about him for that so i can you know if if you've used to stick up for frank you could perhaps say well maybe he's you know he's seeing the same thing you know his chin's gone and he's really slow and he's just going to get himself hurt but i think you're right i don't think frank warren thinks like that um he promoted a Derek or a fight not long ago so um yeah uh, it's it's a concern isn't it it's a concern for, with joyce but um but i, I kind of want to talk about jang though i thought he was excellent he was excellent, and Zhang is one of these guys that, for the first half of a fight, he's one of the most dangerous heavyweights in the division at the minute. As we've seen against Jerry Forrest when he really tired in the second half, and against Hergovich where in the last three rounds he didn't do an awful lot, he does tire. If a fighter can get through the first four to six rounds without taking too much damage, Zhang is there to be taken out in the second half of a fight. But he is so dangerous in those first early rounds mm. that there's no guarantee that you are going to be in a position to capitalise and take him out in the second half of a fight. He dictates pace behind that big, slow southpaw jab in the left hand that it's difficult to try and get him to work hard for those first six rounds. So, like, he's a handful. I, I think he beats the vast majority of people beneath Usyk and Fury. But I also think the same about Joyce. I don't think Joyce has done either. I think that both those guys beat most people beneath them in the rankings. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I wonder what could, you know, Jang after the fight called out Tyson Fury. You know, he said, you know, we, I, we was close to making that fight, but then, you know, Joyce exercises rematch clause. And I don't know, do you see a, do you see a world where Fury takes that fight? No, no, I don't. I don't think he needs to take that fight. I don't think that there's enough money on the table for that fight. If the money's there, I'm sure he will take it. But I think that he's just got bigger money options available to him. And he's been very open as of late about saying that these last few years about his, of his career are about getting as much money as possible. So there would have to be huge, huge money on the table for him to take on a monstrous punching southpaw. Mm. yeah it's, it seems to be you know box for, for fury it seems to be about being you know, a kind of box he can't box in america so you know you know boxing in saudi uh, and try or maybe doing stadium fights over here and then trying to make as much money as he can hence the netflix documentaries and i won't call it a documentary it's more a reality show isn't it uh netflix reality show and everything else and yeah I, I i i think you're right i don't think if he's a world he boxes zang i don't think i'm not even sure he'd box usik he's well he said as much on his reality show that there's kind of no reason for him to box usik because it's a no lose for it's a no win for him if he wins he's beat him he's beat a middleweight if he loses he's lost to a middleweight you know um really um who do you think jang does get next do you think he gets any of the big names or gets anyone that we know of or do you think he's gonna might people might start to avoid him a little bit now. Well, he's the WBO mandatory. So he'll get Usyk at some point. There isn't a huge queue of people willing to fight Usyk. If there isn't a unification with Fury or a wilder fight on the table, probably 
the next best earner for him and also clears his mandatory is to fight Jang. And I think he wins that one comfortably. I think he is a horrible style matchup for Zhang. He's too quick of foot. He's got his hands are too fast. He's durable. He's clever. He'll make Zhang work hard, and he'd stop him in the second half. And it would be making a statement on the back of Zhang arguably beating Kurgovic and stopping Joyce twice. That, that's how I see it. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think I like Zhang. I liked watching him, but I, I think he had a target in front of him that that was. He almost walked. It, Joyce almost went in there knowing he was going to lose. I think he probably knew within the first thirty seconds he was going to lose the fight. Um, he, he saw this big towering bloke in front of him from a southpaw stance, and that probably from that actually probably from that left hand in the second round he knew he was going to lose. But you know that that sort of performance can kind of make you believe that Jang is as good as he is, perhaps better than what perhaps he actually really is. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think Usyk would beat him. Um, Usyk's, you know, kind of the, the number one right now just because Fury's... Fury's playing a day... I was talking to someone in the pub yesterday. I went to went to the pub and I, someone was asking me about Fury. And I said, Fury's playing a very dangerous game, actually, um, because he's he's at an age... What is he, 34 now? Um, he's he's boxing. He's boxing Francis Ngannou, but before that, he's boxed Chisora. Before, before that, he's boxed Dylan, who looked horrible. Um, he's not really boxed... He's not boxed a live body in quite a while and he's playing a dangerous game at some point he's gonna to have to get in there with a live body and he might find himself come unstuck because of it um so yeah i think there's there's something going i don't know i think fury's playing a, he's on a slippery slope really i think it, but that's probably why he's fighting the people he's fighting maybe he can feel himself slowing down he definitely is um but yeah i i agree with you i agree with you um to be fair um What's else? Uh, anything on the undercard stand out for you, John? Not particularly. Like as we said, Yard had a Yard fight. Moses Atalma went through the gears nicely, got an early stoppage. Pierce O'Leary looks an interesting prospect. That was about it for me. What did you think? Yeah, there wasn't really. That was a decent fight, the O'Leary fight. That was pretty. That was interesting that was quite interesting uh it won in the end but yeah it was that was i quite enjoyed that that was quite interesting uh, but in overall like i said before it was a typical kind of frank undercard show where you know lots of lots of a sides not so many b sides um but still i think not bad a decent kind of um a decent show um in the early hours it was i was told hey girl Yes, hello. Sorry, I lost uh, what you said there. I just said uh, I was told that you stayed up to the early hours to watch Connor Ben's return. <laughs> no, I'm not that much of a sadist. I watched it the next morning, thankfully, through the convenience of an app. One of the few good yeah. things about your own app is you can watch things at your own convenience, spoiler-free. That is one of the better things. Yes, unfortunately, I did watch Conor Ben. Is Conor Ben the Michael Barrymore of British boxing? Because technically Michael Barrymore is clear <laughs> <laughs> Technically Michael Barrymore is clear to work. He has yep. claimed to be innocent at every available opportunity for a very long time. But we all believe that the only yep. reason he is currently clear to work is because of a very good legal team. Are you seeing the similarities? 
I can, I can, I can. Michael Barrymore is a fantastic comparison. Everybody, everybody, we know what you are, but, <laughs> but you've managed to, you've got, you've paid a few quid, got a good legal team and managed to, you know, be found not guilty. Um, and it's really interesting actually with Connor Ben because they keep using the word cleared. It's very intentional. It's very intentional. They keep using that word. Uh, even when they say cleared to box, not he's free to box or he's allowed to box, cleared to box. They keep using the word cleared because they're trying to put put this word into into and it was it's really quite strange pr exercise and then the whole announcement video of him boxing at the weekend that, that he was going to box at the weekend it was like i've been knocking people out with 18 ounce gloves on it's like mate you've just come off a performance enhancing drug case and all you're talking about is how fucking hard you hit like so weird like it's so weird to say like oh, i'm just happy to be back in the ring la 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 but no he talked about how hard he punches it was so strange and then he gets you know he steps up to 154 gets in the ring and doesn't get the stoppage after all that talk um but how did he look not great like orozco was there to be hit he was slow but he was able to take everything ben through it and ben won comfortably but if you're looking to come back with a bang, you're looking to get rid of that guy in a couple of rounds, have a stoppage that's going to go viral. Instead, all they've got is Chris Eubank Jr. commenting on how bad he looked and Conor Ben responding to it and Eddie and Matchroom retweeting that. that. That's what they've got now to try and promote Conor Ben is that Chris Eubank Jr. thought he looked a bit shit. Mm. Mm. and that's it now and he said i noticed i didn't i didn't watch the fight uh i had to get up and go out first thing sunday morning so i didn't i didn't get to watch it but i did see some comments he said oh you know britain's my home and i'd like to be able to box back there again okay we'll fucking sit down with the board then mate and apply for a license and and you know maybe show some humility and maybe you know maybe you might be able to box in great britain again maybe you know it's just such a strange such a strange thing that's that's gone on with him um it's gonna be interesting I'd, you know him at 154 i always felt like he was kind of a small welter john um and now he's he's you know i guess because when he went up to middleweight to box eubank do you think that's where he'll stay he'll stay at 154 it seems that way like he looked pretty filled out on the scales assuming that his knockout power returns and that this was just a blip i can see mm. one because particularly if he goes up to 160 or close to it for Eubank, coming back down to 147 is going to be problematic. So he's not a big, he doesn't have a big frame for 154, but you know, the eggs seem to have filled him out nicely. <laughs> the eggs, yeah. Yeah, lots of protein in the eggs. Um, yeah, it's. If, yeah we'll see i don't know what you know well obviously well the, obviously we're about to come on to it canelo and jamel charlo so you know it, there's a very good chance that the belts are going to become splintered at 154 so he might be able to get into the mix for that he may have to do some kind of um some kind of uh political gymnastics with trying to get back up the rankings at 154 um and then you're going to have terence crawford who might step up at some point as well so it's 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 a tough division it's a tough division i'm not sure what he does up there i think he might even have a tougher time up there than he than he would have done at 147 um it's not not an easy division at all um and pbc have kind of had it in a stranglehold for for quite a while now 154 um but 
we'll see we'll see i'm not sure what he'll do there not sure i particularly care i'm just i'm just i'll be keeping an eye on him just so i can see him lose to be honest i'm just waiting for the defeat and if he fights eubank at 160 all i want is for eubank to not not accept anything under 160 pounds and no rehydration clause uh if he does that then eubank, I think eubank beats him handily um that's it. I think that's the only attention I'll pay to pay to Conor Ben, to be honest. And then the in the 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 main event on the night was Sandy Ryan, you know, boxed to a draw against Jessica McCaskill. You felt that was a yeah, you know, a clear as day robbery, right? Yeah, like I don't like the term robbery. Broadly speaking, it gets thrown about way too often. A lot of the times, there's swing rounds where you can make a case, and even if it's Sometimes that you need to give one fighter the benefit of the doubt in every round. I still don't classify mm. it as robbery if it is a swing round, whereas this was bad. Like, Mark Streisand handed right. out a card of 97-93 in favour of Jessica McCaskill. Like, I don't think Barbara Streisand could have scored that fight any worse. <laughs> Honestly, it was terrible. Wow. Like, I, I had that fight... 97 93 to sandy ryan a lot of people wow. had it slightly wider at 98 92 even the draw yep. is a bad card like i just yeah. i i don't know how they reached that conclusion like finally we've got a british fighter being on the wrong end of the decision that away fighters get in britain pretty regularly at the minute Mm. Uh, do you know what i saw that fight i saw that fight announced and i thought initially that it was over here in in the uk um and then i i thought oh sandy ryan will win that jessica mccaskill you know she looked awful against chantelle cameron chantelle cameron made her look like shit to be honest um but we've we've, we've seen since the Katie, you know as well as the katie taylor with the katie taylor fight that she's an exceptional fighter and one of the best women's fighters in the world um chantelle cameron um, but I thought McCaskill looked awful in that fight. Um, and she's pushing 40. She's not far away from being 40. And I just thought Sandy Ryan will win that. And then I saw it was in America. I was like, ah. And it's not because I think all oh, American judges, that means it's bad. But location just plays such a big part. When you're traveling and you're going over to the States, it's just that bit harder to to win the fights whether it's because you you're uncomfortable outside of your comfort zone or the jet lag or you're not you got don't have your home fans it's not all the you know kind of the officials you 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 know and all of that and i just thought mm -hmm. so when i saw a draw come in i thought yep yeah, not surprised at that at all um do you think they do a rematch yeah like i'd be surprised if there isn't a rematch i don't know where else there's going to be that sort of money on the table for mccaskill I've seen that Clifton Mitchell's already said that he wants it back in the UK in Derby. So we'll see. Like it should happen. It was a really bad decision. On the upside, Sandy Ryan didn't lose her world title belt as a result, but she should be a unified welterweight champion right yep. now. Not. And it is a bit rubbish, but as you said, like it is difficult going abroad. It's why the wins that Josh Taylor has over uh, Jose Ramirez and Kelbrook has over uh, Sean Porter yeah. and Bates are deemed to be so impressive because it is just that little bit harder when you're away from home comforts and 
if there are close rounds, the judges will usually score in favour of the home fighter. Like Japan is one of the rare countries where an away fighter can get a fair shake on the cards. Everywhere else, it's bad. We're one of the worst. Like we've jobbed umpteen yeah. fighters over here in the last five years. So it's not right. It's something that boxing really does need to address. But sadly, it's not uncommon. Yeah, no, you're right. Right, you're right. It's not something that's you know, if it's not hard really. Like if if somebody wins clear, they win clear. You know, these people work really, really hard. Just score one round at a time, you know, and it's just happening, you know, kind of far too often now, really. And it doesn't matter where it is. I think you're right. We are the worst for it in the UK. Um, and the the board have kind of you know they've taken the, they took a bit of a hammering on channel for the other night but you know they've been they've been uh, not up to it for a long time and they've played the baby face role in this place we've caught in the in this thing with connor ben but the board needs to fucking sort it out and so do some of the some of the commissions in america as well it's a florida yeah, yeah i saw florida and i thought oh well they've licensed connor ben for one and now you know they're uh they've they've thrown out cars like that as well it was really really disappointing um was there anything else on the undercard that, that leapt out of you on that night? Well, technically the main event was uh, Richardson Hitchens against uh, Zepeda. And Hitchens, Hitchens, Hitchens won comfortably. Yes. But he just, it's a bit boring. His style isn't going to sell tickets. He's not going to have people queuing up to fight him because he's hard to beat. He's very risk adverse. He knows who he is as a fighter. It's going to make him hard to beat, but it's going to make him hard to watch. Like, it's mm. Demetrius Andre all over again, unfortunately. Like, he's going to need to do something to make yeah. himself more watchable. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a real shame. He, he's got to... We were talking about this offline, wasn't we? You know, there's there's been boring fighters in the past, or perhaps fighters that are a little bit more defensive, or, you know try not to ship so much but you've got to do something to grab people's attention you know you've got to do something you know remember you know, billy joe saunders against david lemieux doing the little look into the crowd he's not the most exciting fighter but he did he did something just to make you go oh that was interesting or you know bernard hopkins would do something he'd do the press-ups in between rounds against jean pascal you know do something to make people want to watch you you know and he's he's gonna have to do something he's gonna have to learn to either you know kind of promote his personality outside of the ring which a lot of the influencer youtuber types do or you've got to do something in the ring that gets people's attention, if, even if you don't want to ship too many shots. Um, but be interesting to see where where he kind of goes from there. And then this weekend, John, um, it's the return uh, of Canelo Alvarez against you know Jamel Charlo. Uh, he's moved gone back to PBC. Um, he's kind of jumped around all over the place, hasn't he, Canelo? Good for him. I think it's good that he does that. That he, he goes to he's gone goes to promote to promote and you know goes where the fights are. And I think actually he's done the smart thing, hasn't he? Fighting Bivar in a rematch was not going to end well for him, and, and losing back to back against you know against one guy is just not. It's not what you want to see from a guy like Canelo. So how are you feeling about this weekend, about him fighting Jamel Charlo? Do you give Jamel a chance? I give him a slim chance. And that's because I think Charlo has probably been at 154 a bit too long. I think it's why there's been some flat performances like against Castaño in the first fight, etc., etc. Mm. I think 
160 would have been better for him. But also, there's signs of decline in Canelo in the Ryder fight, in the b-ball fight. So it's intriguing. I still lean fairly heavily towards Canelo, but I'm interested. I, I It's not one that... Some Canelo fights, I'm like, ah, it's a foregone conclusion, like, I'll catch that in the morning. But I might get up mm. to one. Like, it's certainly interesting. How do you see it? Yeah, I am... Um, I'm interested in it, and I, I do give Jamel a shot. I think they'd have to get the game plan right. Um because you know he's gonna get he's gonna get the you know the you know how it is with Canelo fights, they fill out the scorecards the first five rounds at least before it's even started. So he's gonna have to do he's gonna have to box out of his skin in order to you know, in order to um to get the win. And we've seen with the Castaño fight and the Tony Harrison fights that he needed the rematch to kind of work the style out and get the win. He he doesn't have that this time like he doesn't he doesn't get a do-over like he's it's this is his opportunity and he has to grab it with both hands i give him a chance because he is he was big at 154 and actually in terms of both of them in, in terms of their frame they're similar size guys and you know uh, jamel's you know a good bit taller so I, I give him a shot definitely uh but you you would think that you would you, you would make canelo favorite uh, and then I suppose they they move him on to David Benavidez after that if they want or if if Canelo wants it. He's never really seemed interested in boxing him, um, but you'd think it'd be David Benavidez next. Um, you think a stoppage points? What are you looking at? I would probably lean towards a sort of one sixteen, one twelve, one seventeen, one eleven sort of scorecard. Which will probably result in one twenty, one oh eight. But that's I see. I don't think. Canelo will get the stoppage. As I say, there's just some signs of decline when he fought John Ryder and Golovkin. Like, I think the Canelo of three years ago would probably have got rid of John Ryder. So that's how I see it. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I There's definitely slippage with Canelo. You know, I, I think you're right. You know, he gets, I think he gets rid of John, John Ryder in three rounds. You know, back back in the pandemic when he was really at his prime and had cemented himself as the best fighter in the world, I think that version of him stops John Ryder within three four rounds. To be honest, and for for John Ryder to and to for 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 him to to, you know, to take John Ryder that long and the Golovkin fight really, you know, Golovkin has been really inactive. He's been semi-retired and he's been at middleweight forever. Forty-one years old. I thought, come on, he's got to be looking to get Golovkin out of there, really. And he won, and he won handily enough, but it wasn't it wasn't particularly impressive the Golovkin fight. So, yeah, and and Jamel, you know, new weight division, you know, he's he's got the he's got size on his side, you know, he's on form, he's he's not undefeated, but you know, he's he's undisputed champion himself until the ring walk, and then the, the WBO are going to strip him of the belt straight away afterwards, which is ridiculous. Um, so he's you know he's he's a live body in there, Jamel, but I think. I slightly disagree with you on the cards. <laughs> I'm going to predict a majority decision. <laughs> uh, I think they're going to. I think one card's going to give him a draw. I think. I think he might get a draw card. I think he might get a draw card and then two two for Canelo. Stranger things have happened. Uh, and then this weekend uh, when. Yeah. 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 Go on. Stranger things have happened, and Canelo. Back in his one five four days, had those really tight decisions against 
good boxers like Lara and Trout and people. So it, it's not impossible. And Jamel will have his fans there. Yeah, he'll have his fans there, and I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll make a lot of noise as well. Um, and he's the PBC guy, isn't he? He is the PBC, you know, kind of lifer, if you like. So, you know, if there's someone they look want to look after, surely it's yeah. the male. But you never know. You never know. It'd be interesting, and then it'll be interesting to see what Tim Zhu does at 154 once. You know, Jamel gives up all the belts, which you think he probably will after the fight. Um, and then this weekend, it's, it's Jai Pattaya against Jordan Thompson. This is so strange, John. I don't, I don't understand them signing him. I don't understand it because they've got no one to match him with. And they've, they're putting him on a card in London. Not, they're not doing Australia or New Zealand, where he's, New Zealand, where he's from. They're, they're putting him on in Wembley at Wembley Arena against Jordan Thompson. And then the undercard looks really rubbish. Are you looking forward to just seeing this? Just, just, just because we get to see Opatia? I like Opataya. I think he's the best cruiserweight in the world. As for why Matchroom signed him, I think it's a little bit vindictive. I think they signed him to try and make Boxer and Ben Shalom's life a little bit harder. They were looking at making a Reactor mm. fight. They've got a cold yep. with the Billum Smith. I think Eddie was just making sure that they weren't going to get one piece of the cruiserweight puzzle and he's going to try and find whatever opportunities he can for him. I don't think Jordan Thompson's ready. I think Jordan Thompson has got one of the worst nicknames in all of professional boxing. The practitioner of artistic violence. What in the name of fuck is that? I've never heard that. The practitioner of what? Artistic violence. It's original. <laughs> At original least. doesn't mean good. Yeah, he's not the hitman, uh, the body snatcher, the crusher. He, he's whatever you said. <laughs> I've forgotten it again already. Um, <laughs> fair play to him. It's, it's, it's not particularly catchy. It's not catchy. <laughs> it's not good, but it's original. So we'll give him that. Um, you, you think Opatai is going to get him out of there? Yeah, I think so. Like, yeah, Jordan Thompson's shown uh, vulnerability. Dutsar almost got him out of there in the final round of their fight. I think Opataya as a well-schooled southpaw boxer puncher will get this job done. Probably a couple of cagey rounds to figure out Thompson because like, he does have huge dimensions for the weight. He's tall, he's reachy, etc., etc. But I think once Opataya works him out, it's going to be one-way traffic. How do you see it? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I, f- I thought about going. Still might. Don't know. Not not paying. But, you know, still might. But, yeah, I'm interested in seeing Opataya. I've, see- I've seen some bits and pieces of him, but to, to see him properly will be really good. Um, yeah, I think, he'll- I think he'll get the stoppage. Uh, I imagine he'll get the stoppage. The undercard is doing nothing for me, absolutely nothing for me at all. Uh, but I guess they've got to pay up a tyre and, you know, they've got to claw the money back somehow. Um, so, yeah, that should it should be interesting to see up a tyre up close, at least. You never know, Jordan Thompson might have the fight of his life, you know. And actually, I was thinking about, you know, with you know with them signing up a tyre and then, like you said, with Boxer and they've got Poor and Akoli and Billum Smith. 
you know, and you, you think about it in America where kind of top rank kind of had the, the lightweights on lock and then you've got PBC, you had the welters and the light middle and then, you know, um, Sourland's had cruiserweight for a while. There's, I think there's something in that, John, of just promoters, you know, I think it would be nice. We're never going to get a UFC type monopoly, but maybe what we could have is if the, if the, a silent agreement between promoters to just, leave some divisions you know to, to almost like divvy up the divisions between each other um and you know you are you can have cruiser but i'm having super middle do you know what i mean it just seems you know opatai would have been so much better him going to boxer it had been made so much more sense going there you could have had unifications that have been really tasty fights and now you've got opatai who's going to fight jordan thompson and then what it's just just feels like a shame really john absolutely and when divisions have been on lockdown by certain promoters, it's occasionally worked out well for us. Like 154 with PBC has produced a series of fantastic fights, upsets. It's been great. With top rank and lightweight, not so much. It's resulted in one champion, which is great. Do like that. couple of interesting fights, but broadly speaking not really set the world alight. So, yeah, like, I think if there's enough enough depth there, it's a really good thing for one promoter to have it on lockdown, but most of the time they don't really have the depth. It's why, like, Top Rank keep on wheeling out Richard Comey, for example. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a fair point. They get, and you'd actually notice on the undercard for the weekend, PBC are wheeling out a lot of kind of the old guys that have been around forever and perhaps don't deserve the opportunity but they're getting it because they're with pbc um b could be in that in that spot really um you know ugas is, is boxing again terrell gauch is boxing again like he's been around forever um so yeah i get your point i think you're right um i think there's there's something in that having a monopoly in a, in a division i think there's some there's some positive and that but you i can there's definitely some negatives as well like there always is with 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 any monopoly really um, i really appreciate your time thank you very much for having me on as always much appreciated all right take care take care sports social podcast network